I want to give a special shout out to you ladies this morning. It's good to see you. Um, nothing against you guys, but I have been with guys all week long. I started off Monday morning, brought mentee at Teen Challenge, giving a message there. It was a bunch of guys. Uh, Monday night was with my mentee, another male. I had two different pastors group, all male. Yesterday, Bible study with the guys, fatherhood challenge until the afternoon. I have spent a lot of guy time, which I enjoy, but it's nice to see you ladies here this morning. So I'm really thankful for you being here this morning. And uh, Denise, especially, right? Yeah, Denise is back there going, yes, yes. So I uh, appreciate you and thankful for you. All right, just to put you at ease, I am not going to do three chapters this Sunday. I tell you, that was a stretch for me to cover that much ground that quickly. It's not my norm. It's not what I like to do. I like to kind of work things slowly. So we're at best going to do one chapter and maybe a couple of verses this morning, just so you know. I'm giving Ike time to get it up there because he's he's scrambling back there, which is kind of funny. No, I'm not doing chapter three either. So we already did that one. So. But uh, we are going to continue in our, our story of Samuel. And as I mentioned from the beginning, it is the story of Samuel. And Samuel is the, the main focus, so that's why we covered a lot of ground and got there. But who's the most important character, obviously, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament? God, right? God is the one that uses people. And thank goodness he uses imperfect people to accomplish his will. That gives us hope and grace in our own lives. Um, I know all of you, none of you are perfect. I'll just say that right up front, so front and center. Even Jerry, who just stepped in, he's not perfect. I've spent time with him enough, so I know. Even my grandson, I spent time with him yesterday, and he's not perfect. No. Although, I don't know, he's pretty good. So, if you've been with us, or if you haven't been with us, or you missed a week, chapter one, we looked at the very beginning of Samuel, right? We, we looked at his coming on scene, um, and we learned that having two wives is a great thing, right? No, 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 that, that didn't work, right? There was a household that was divided, there were problems, did not work out well at all for all involved. But we did see the faithfulness of, of Samuel's mother, right? Her prayer, her continually going to the Lord saying, hey, bless me with a son, and in an unusual way, she makes this promise, she makes a vow saying that if you give me a son, I'm going to commit him to the temple and to the worship. And we learned what a great character Eli and his sons were, right? No, no, they weren't, right? They weren't a great godly example. And so that took a lot of faith to entrust your one and only son at the time with a priest who was much older, but not running things well. Things were run amok. And we learned what happened to them as we looked through, right? There was the no-name prophet saying that, hey, we're going to rip it from your hands. God was not going to allow them to keep worshiping the way they were worshiping. And again, the, the misuse of the temple and the sacrifices. We also took some time and looked at Hannah's prayer, right? And we looked at that because it's not only a prayer of thanksgiving, which it was, but it also laid out the foundation for the whole book and the the continual reversal of fortune, right? Flipping things upside down. God has this way of doing that. 
right? Joe, you even mentioned this morning, Cambodia, right? It was heading in the direction, growing by leaps and bounds, and then war comes, flips everything upside down, and yet now we get to see the other side of it, and it again now is growing and flourishing in Cambodia. That's just like God. He flips things upside down quite often. And so that's the story and the theme that continues on throughout Samuel. Then we also looked at last week, again, we took that big chunk, but we've seen what happens when you treat God incorrectly or without respect. All right, if you remember the story, right, they, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. They brought it out as their, their good luck charm against their, their rivals, the Philistines. And what happened? They lost it. Yeah, for seven months they lost it. And so the Philistines, right, they, 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 they got the prized possession, but what happened to the prized possession? It didn't bring about good fortunes like they hoped, right? And remember the Dagon, my, my the half fish, half man, right, ends up falling over and worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. It's a great story. If you haven't read it, go back and read it. It's, it's one of those things that is kind of humorous uh, in that regard, but it shows God's power and his might. And again, was an example to those who didn't even believe in God that God was superior over the lesser gods. And I'm putting it here in the lesser to no gods, really, category. So the Philistines give it back, right? They, they send it back over the border. They send it back to Israel because it's causing them problems. They're, they're getting tumors. Their crops are failing. Things are not going well. And so they send it back. And that's where we kind of pick up the story Today Again, there was a lot more in that, but I'm not going to cover three chapters just to get us all up to speed, but hopefully that gives you at least a cursory idea of what's going on when we pick up the story. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 7. We're going to backtrack a little bit, because remember, we actually got into 7 last week a little, but it's a transition. And so it's a transition that helps us um, with the story. Oh, and I forgot to mention, by this point, Eli, right, the, the prophet had predicted... Samuel's calling it, predicted the same thing, that Eli was going to die and his two sons, and they have been taken out, right? They died in the battle. Eli hears the news, he dies, and now Samuel is firmly established as the leader, right? He is now in charge of the spiritual welfare and even more, really the whole nation of Israel. And so that's where we pick up the story now in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, So the men of Kareth, Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it, brought it to Abaniah's house on the hill and consecrated Elkazar, the son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath Jerem a long time, 20 years in all. And we talked about how it was established there. It wasn't at Shiloh anymore because Shiloh, by all accounts, may have been taken apart or dismantled or it wasn't the focal point anymore. And so that becomes the new center for where the ark was and the place of worship. And so that's where it's established. That's where we get it back from the Philistines and things start to settle down spiritually a little bit. It goes on in the verse, it says, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs, and commit to yourselves to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So Israel put away their Baals and their Asherahs, 
and serve the Lord only. Again, this was a, a process, right? It, it wasn't a, as soon as the ark arrives, and as soon as everything gets set, um, there's a complete transformation. No, it's a, a process. They were kind of working their way back as a nation. I will say this, even in our own lives, it sometimes takes time, right? And that we, we talk about getting sanctified, we, we're, it's a process, right? We get saved, and yes, spiritually we're saved, but not everything changes overnight. Someone give me an amen or something. I mean, or maybe I'm the only one. I'm still being, I'm in process. I'm still getting worked on. There are still things God's revealing. We're still working on things. Nation is no different. Nation, in fact, if anything, it probably moves even a little bit slower, right? Because people grow at different rates and it takes time. But Samuel says, if you're serious, if you want to really turn around, then you got to get rid of some junk. you got some stuff that's going on spiritually that's not good. And the tendency for the nation of Israel was, all right, yeah, we're going to follow God, but we're going to hold on to these other idols in case we need them as a, a backup. Or some people would say plan B, right? i got plan B here, and Baal and Asherah, those were the, the female and male gods, and they were the fertility gods and the agricultural gods, and that was kind of their backup plan. We'll just add to it. And again, if you look throughout history, that's always been a problem, right? God's not okay with having a backup plan or a plan B or another God as a fallback. We've seen many nations throughout the years and throughout the centuries that do that. They'll just add on to, then they kind of incorporate and try to put them together. That's not what God wants, right? God wants to be the only. He is the only one that we want to follow. And so Samuel encouraged them to get rid of this stuff. If you're really serious about it, get them away. But it's a process. It's going to take a little bit of time. And so Samuel now has risen up. He's that leader. He's the spiritual one that's saying, here's what we've got to do. And he even makes this prediction here early on that he's going to deliver them out of the Philistines' hands. Again, they're coming off a of victory, but they didn't obviously totally defeat the Philistines. They're still there. They're still established, remember, along the coast. They're still that arch enemy, and they're going to be around for a while. You'll see that throughout Samuel as we go on. Philistines don't go away. They're, they're always there, um, and God uses them really for correction, which is typical of the judges, which we've mentioned in the past. So verse 5, kind of up to where we were last week, just with a little more detail on it, but verse 5 says, Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mithpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Big difference. Remember back to last week, we talked about their, the Philistines had, had raised up, right? They're, they were on the border. Remember what happened last time? They sent an army out and 3,000 got prayer before, right? No mention of the Lord, no mention of interceding, no mention of prayer before. Here, they haven't even started yet, and Samuel is praying for them. He's interceding. And we'll see this theme now for a while, that Samuel intercedes for the whole nation. And again, bringing it back to us, it's not a bad idea. In fact, it's a really good and strong idea for us to be praying for our nation. Right? We can intercede for our nation. We should be. We should be praying for our nation as a whole. Right? Samuel does that here, but it's much different 
Things are different than last time. Also notice that he didn't say, hey, go grab the ark, right? Let's, let's take the ark into the battle. They learned from that mistake. That wasn't a good idea. That wasn't a good plan. It didn't work out well last time. And at this point, I'm not sure the Philistines would really even want it back after their experience, right? Nope, you can keep that. We'll, we'll take everything else, but you can, you can hold on to, to the ark. So again, a, a stark difference. There's been a change in plans militarily, but also spiritually here as they're preparing for another battle, like I said, with their arch enemies, the Philistines. Verse 6, it says, When they assembled at Mithpath, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we've sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mithpah. So again, there's that, that change. And there's a lot of symbolic that's here, but they're, they're bringing the water and pouring it out is, is almost like, hey, we, we need something more. Right? Water is essential, but we need something more here. It's not physical anymore, right? It's not preparation for war as much as, um, physically as it is spiritually. And that's a, the, the, the picture here. And again, the, the fasting was a, another sign of that, right? And again, Israel was used to fasting. That was part of their worship. Fasting, there was scheduled fasting times before feasts and before other events. So fasting was, was normal. This was abnormal. This was not a normal fast. Military speaking, on a physical level, would you want your warriors to be fasting before a battle? Uh, no, right? Because fasting, if you've done it, you know, it leaves you weaker, right? Physically, you are weaker. But Samuel is now showing them and leading by example that the physical is not what's important here, but the spiritual, being prepared spiritually for what's to come. And again, relying upon the Lord for the victory, not themselves. So there's a lot here in that little couple of sentences that are showing us that there's a change. Things are different. Things are happening more according to what God wants. And that last sentence was, was inserted, but it says, Samuel was serving as leader, right? Judge, I told you, Samuel is unique. He has a lot of different titles. He's a judge. He's the last of the judges, but he's also part prophet and part priest, all in one here as he's leading the nation. That's not normally how that goes but he's doing all these things together as they're in about a transition in leadership. But I'm getting ahead of myself, but that comes in chapter 8. Verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mithpath, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because the Philistines said, uh, because the Philistines, they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Right? Again, we see that very much different approach to what's going on, right? Now, even the people are saying, hey, we need you to keep praying. Hey, stay over here, right? Stay near the, the altar, the place. Be interceding for us. Right? This is the, the, the people that are going to be out there on the front lines. These are the soldiers that are saying this. Hey, intercede for us. Again, he's, they're not asking Samuel to go out on the battleground, right? Again, much different. Remember, the ark was accompanied by Eli's two sons. Again, they were bringing the priests right out into the battle where they could be killed. But hey, no, no, Samuel, do what you do best. 
stay back and pray for us, right? Cover us in prayer is what he's asking for. And I, I love the imagery, and I also love the, the thought behind that. One of the things that I appreciate about most of being your pastor is when you give me prayer requests, and it helps me as, during the week that I can be praying for different things, right? For the things I can do for you. As you know, many of you know, I am not a doctor. I'm not very, I, you would not want to come to me for that. There's a lot of things that I can't do. Physically, I, you wouldn't want me. You wouldn't want me helping you with building a building or doing electricity or um, certainly not in the music area, right? But I can pray. That I can do. And so it's the same thing here. They're saying, Samuel, pray for us. We've got a big battle coming. We need you to stay back and pray for us. And Samuel does a little bit more here. Again, he's acting as a, a little bit different, but verse 9 picks it up. It says, Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Don't you love it when you ask for something and God actually gives it to you? Yeah right? We love that. And again, God always answers prayer. We've, we've talked about that. If you've been in any of right? He always answers in one of three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Yeah, not yet. Someone said not yet. That, that one works too, right? Um, and I told you, I like yes and no. I'm a black and white guy for that standpoint, but wait is a little bit harder for me, but I've learned to appreciate even wait because God's timing is always better than mine. But he does answer, right? And I love how Scripture lets us know, hey, God answered this already. There's some significance to the, the lamb as well as suckling. It's, it's this budding. It's, it's young. Their faith in Israel, um, many commentators believe it was not the normal sacrifice. It was a little bit different. It had symbolic meaning as well. Again, Israel's just kind of getting on track spiritually here. It's that turning back around. The, the cycle in Judges is pretty evident. It's pretty easy to track. And they're at that point of coming to that life again. They're coming awake. They're young in their faith, but it's coming. Verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. Thunder, but, keyword. That day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpath and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Bethkar. Again, a lot here as well, right? Who won the battle? Who actually took care of the, the Philistines? God. Yeah, right? Philistines were very, the, the commentaries say that they were very superstitious. And again, part of that, that fish god was control over the, kind of over nature, right? Over the seas. They were out on the water and, and, and thunder was that judgment call. And so it says this thunder came from God, right? They knew, Philistines knew this wasn't normal. This was above, this was a spiritual battle going on. And it says it threw them into confusion, Armies in confusion in that day, it's, we kind of miss it in our English translation, but what it actually means is that they turned against themselves. They actually started killing each other in their scramble because there was confusion. Today we call it, what, friendly fire, right? That happens sometimes in war. Here it's happening on the battlefield, and again, it's not the Israelites who are even causing this. It's, it's God causing this confusion. 
And again, in the outlier of the war, the fact that they fled and they were pursued, it inflicted heavier casualties, right? Right? If you ever watch the battle scene, once the army that's going in one direction turns and goes the other direction, what happens, right? The backside's exposed, right? And, and it's a lot easier to... And when you're on the run, it's even worse. And so the fact that they drove them back, it increases the, the number of casualties, but it makes the battle even greater. And again, who, who took care of this? God. All right. Don't ever lose sight of that. And then we, we tend to elevate situations and people, but it's God that's doing the work. We see that very clearly here. And so in verse 12, right, this great battles happen. They've pushed them back and pushed them further, even further back into their own land. And now they come back here. There's a separation a little bit in time, but verse 12 picks up the story. It says, Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mithpath and Shen. He named it Ebuchadnezzar, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Interesting, thus far, right? Samuel's like, thus far, yeah, God's been with us. Now, now I don't think Samuel's questioning so much. But I think it's like, hey, this is not, he's not done, right? I read that to be, hey, God's taken us this far, but he's not done yet. There's more work to be done. That's how I kind of read it. And again, it's one of those things that's a little bit not, not clear, but it says thus far. You know, God's always been faithful. And thus far, he's brought us to this point, but he's not done yet. There's still more yet to come. And I think there was some hope in that, Right? Yeah, we not only just defeated the Philistines and we've won and we're secure at the moment, but thus far God's with us. Because it also may have been a way that Samuel was reminding them, hey, you need to keep going, right? You got rid of your idols, don't go back to those, keep following after the Lord, keep growing in your faith, don't stop yet. It's a form of discipleship, right? And we, we talk about that here even at Pointway, right? Discipling people and, and right? It's not just salvation and then we stop and wait. It's a continual grow, right? That we need more training, we need more time in the Word, we need more fellowship. Discipleship's a couple of messages in a series that I'm not going to do this morning, so I'll pull back. But it is part of it, right? He's encouraging them to continue to stay on the right path. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. That's a, a testimony, right? And it's a, a mark of time. Samuel is going to live for a long time, but as long as Samuel's alive, the Philistines don't end up overtaking again. They don't end up overtaking all the land. Now, they're still going to have troubles, there's still going to be that enemy, and there's still going to be these battles. But there's a marked difference in Samuel's life. While the, the spiritual part has been restored, they're protected. Right? The Philistines don't have that hold over them any longer. The towns from Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Well, wait a minute, Amorites? When did they sneak in there, right? Well, you see, Philistines, kind of, I mean Philistines, uh, uh, Philistines are one enemy, they're on one side. The Amorites are up to the north and in the hill country on the western part of that. Um, Israel has been surrounded 
for a long time. Again, remember part of the taking in the promised land, they didn't push out everyone, right? So they have enemies all around them. And guess what? If you look at even Israel today, not much has changed. I mean, they hold the coast, but there's still animosity even there. But all around them are their enemies. Israel has always been on that little bit of a, I'd call it an island by themselves and them. And the forces around them have usually been greater than them. They've been the underdog for the most part. Yet, not really because they have God. But looking at it physically, they are on the wrong side of most of these battles. But it says they even regained some territory. Right? Not only did they drive out the Philistines and keep them from invading, but they, they held them and pushed back and gained some of the places they had lost. And the, their neighbors to the other side were peaceable. Things were fine on that side of the border. I like to think that word got out, right? Again, we know that people talk and, hey, I'm sure the Philistines, and they knew what took place there. And so the Amorites like, hey, you know what? Let's not be stupid like the Philistines. Let's, let's stay on our side of the land, right? God has a way of doing that, expanding even his scope. And even unbelievers realize, whoops, this is beyond us. This is something greater than their size or their might. God is intervening. And so God is protecting them and setting them up again as a nation, a strong nation. Verse 15, back to Samuel. It says, He continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on, to the, on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mithpath, judging Israel in all the places. But he always went back to Ramoth, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel and he built an altar there to the Lord. So if you took him right now, he's more of a judge, right? That's that judge's role. And again, he would go from place to place, and it's listed here as many as five different places that he would go, and he would stay for a time, and he would rule on disputes, he would help sort things out, he would give guidance as the leader, and then he would move on. And so he, he had, say like a, a circuit, he probably had a a territory that he would just travel in and make that of New England, make his rounds. I know when I used to be in sales, I had a large territory. I had all of New England to cover. And so I would spend a week in Maine, a week in New Hampshire, a week in Vermont, a week in New York, and then I would start back over again. And that was my, my circuit. Well, it's almost the same thing here. He would just spend that time going from place to place. The other thing we notice here is he doesn't have really a, a home base. He's He's going from places, but he's relying on other people to give him shelter. And again, they did that. They would provide that for him. That was part of his coming and making those judgments and rulings, right? Now, in order to be able to do that, you had to judge correctly. You had to be of good favor. I mean, people don't come to you to help make a decision if they don't trust you. And so we see that here. And Samuel does this for quite a time, going around to these places. So he's helping them establish themselves as a nation. And again, that last sentence is not there by accident. He built an altar, right? It's kind of a reminder. It's just that, oh yeah, and by the way, he doesn't lose his spirituality in any of this. He's not a void of his love for God and for what's proper within the Jewish history here and within their, their, uh, the temple worship. 
So again, he's doing the sacrificing, observing the feast, and doing all the things that he's supposed to in that regards. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when Samuel grew old. Anyone right, right, that remind anybody? Anyone else growing old? Or, yeah. Again, years have gone by here. We, we lose that. But Samuel's getting older now. He started off with a baby. We've, we've brought him along. And now he's at that point where he's growing older. He's, he's getting to that point, to the end, where he's starting to think of, you know, what's next. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons of Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abadiah, and they Bathsheba, yeah, Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. A sad commentary, really, in many ways, right? Samuel's been... been, been almost perfect up to this point, right? He, he's done everything right. He's, things have been going well. He's led the nation, but yet the next generation sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Remember Eli? His two sons? You know, the hope is for every dad, right, to pass the, 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 the business on or pass the, the next generation. And yet, sadly, here, even for Samuel... It doesn't happen. Now again, not because Samuel didn't raise them, right? He raised them in, in the, but when children become adults, and I tell parents this all the time, and I'm still learning it to some degree, you can train them up as best you can, but when they start making adult decisions, they take on a life of their own in many ways. Right? There's no guarantee our kids, our adult kids, are going to make the right decisions. My parents did a good job, but I made a lot of wrong decisions after I became an adult, thinking I knew what was right. It happens. And unfortunately, same thing here for Samuel. Now, someone may say, well, wait a minute, when did Samuel get married? When did he start raising kids? I mean, now he's got, again, we're looking at history here. We're looking at a large portion of time. In a few verses, so we, we, we don't lose that. That's not the important part, other than the fact that his sons are not ready to be leaders. It's not going to pass on. As much as Samuel would want it, it's not going to happen in that way. But there is some differences from him and Eli. So verse 4 says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramoth, and they said to him, You are old. The elders say that every once in a while to me, and I just, you know, some of them I, I laugh because they're older than I am now, so that's helpful. No, I'm just kidding. I have an elders meeting on Thursday. I'm sure I'm going to hear about this. I don't know why. That wasn't in my notes. So, anyways, back to Scripture before I get any more trouble. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the nations around us have. All right? And again, I'm going to stop there for this morning, but you see there's going to be a change, right? They don't want to judge any longer. They certainly don't want Samuel's son, so now they want a king. Right? And so we're going to enter that time now from the judges to the king. That's going to be the next weeks, if Lord allows that. That's going to be the next transition for them as a nation. And I put that out there as a teaser for you, but you want to read ahead. It, it's kind of interesting how they end up picking the king. But there's a problem even with that last sentence. 
If you don't pick it up, it says, such as all the other nations. Right? It's kind of key, actually. It kind of sets up what's going to happen. There's going to be problems from this point on with the kings and how they pick them, because if they pick them as other nations do, is Israel supposed to be like other nations? No. Again, there's no mention here of prayer or spirituality. It's more like, hey, we want to be like everybody else, and so we want a king. And so you can see there's a problem on the horizon. And we'll see Samuel's response to that. So there. We've gotten through chapter 7 this morning. It was a little bit easier than doing three chapters. But there was a lot in there. But what's some of the takeaways? What can we take away from this this morning? It's sometimes hard when we're just doing history and, and that. But certainly there's a lot there still to be taken. God first? Can we, can we all agree on that? God first? How about our spirituality? Right? We have to get rid of some things, right? Sometimes part of that growth means we have to get rid of some of those things, right? God is a jealous God. Landon, that's my title, by the way, God is a jealous God. Landon does our sermons and puts them online for us, and he often asks me a couple weeks out what my titles are, and I have to kind of scratch my head and think back. But God is a jealous God, right? God wants to be first. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well, but that message hasn't changed. That message is still today. We can't have co-gods or plan Bs. And the other part is interceding. Two points today, right? God first, get rid of some of the things that are in the way, but also interceding. And I would encourage you this week to spend some, some extra time as, as I'm getting ready for National Day of Prayer. That's one of the, the focal points is praying for our nation intercede, right? You can intercede for our nation, you can intercede for others and for family members, those are all good things, but especially this week, let's take some time this week and intercede for our nation. And God will answer that prayer. Bow with me this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we've mentioned, Lord, that you are first. Lord, help us with that. Help us to put you first in everything. Help us to not do things in our own strength or in our own limited abilities, but to put you first. Lord, we see the work that you do despite us, despite the circumstances, despite even what the enemy tries to do. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you for the work that you do on our behalf. And Lord, as we start this week, even this morning, Lord, Lord, we just ask that you would, once again, rescue our nation. Lord, forgive us for those areas that we've sinned. Lord, may it be a call of repentance on each and every one of us and as a nation as a whole. And that we turn back to you and that we put you first. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here today. I thank you for the blessing it is that we can come together and worship you together. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.